Every hill possesses its distinctive traits, often morphing with the shifting seasons and the passing of time. For an adventure motorcycle rider, this translates into sort of adopting a one-of-a-kind strategy for each hill ascent. Now, just thinking about that can give you a headache. However, Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures has a magic formula. And once you learn the magic formula for hill climbs, you'll be powering up those hills and leaving your riding buddies sitting at the bottom wondering just who this new rider really is. Today on Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive rider skills program, the magic formula for climbing hills. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Manning, Ted, Simon Austin, Simon Pavey, Bill Bergoon, Helga Federer, Jocelyn Snow, Charlie Borman, Simon Thomas, Lisa Thomas, Grant Johnson, Graham Jarvis, Quentin Smout, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, CyclePump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Well, today we're talking about the magic formula for climbing steep hills, as well, six common yet avoidable mistakes that novice riders make while doing it. Clinton, welcome back. Hi, Jim. How are you? Oh, really good. I'm loving summer, of course, always enjoying summer. But you know what I find with summertime is it just never seems to be enough of it for me. I feel like I, I can always use more. I mean, we, we don't get all that much here in summertime. So I mean, I always feel like it runs out. I mean, I guess I have all these grand plans at the start of it and it, um, it never comes to fruition or some of them don't come to fruition, which is disappointing, I think. But always gives you something to look forward to for next summer, of course. Now, I'm not writing summer off. It is only August here right now, so it's still beautiful out. But you're lucky you're out there riding motorcycles every day, doing what you love to do. If not, you're off guiding trips so that's got to be, oh, and you, you've got another trip coming up. Actually, we should talk about that because you have a trip coming up in September going to Sun, Sun Peaks or something like that, Sun Peaks Resort. And this is with BMW Canada, who has put, the, put an event together. We should talk about this because there are a lot of hills there and a lot of what you're going to be talking about, everything you're going to be talking about today could be applied to that trip um, that, that you're going to take. Oh, Yeah. There's not much flat in British Columbia. It's spectacular, so I'm really excited about it. It's called the BMW Adventure X. 
And it's an idea where the customer can have their bike shipped from anywhere in Canada that they live. And it's either $400 or free. I think there's a cutoff date where you've got to get your bike in there. Yeah, I think we might be beyond the cutoff date now. I think that yeah, so you might have to pay the the $400, but still, you know, for for shipping your bike. It's peanuts to go across Canada. So you've got to provide your own airfare, but it's kind of a packaged adventure experience. So you'll land in maybe Abbotsford, BC, which you're very familiar with, Mm -hmm. right in the mountains. Then your bike is there and you make your way to Sun Peaks Resort, which I've never been to. Have you, Jim? You know, I've never been there, but I looked it up. It's it's stunning. Is it? Yeah, Yeah, supposedly it's amazing. So it's kind of tour called a hub and spoke. So every night we'll come back after a day of really cool adventure riding. We'll come back to the Sun Peaks Resort. You know, so all of your meals, accommodation are paid for. If you need adventure bike tires put on, there'll be a crew there to assemble them. I'm not sure if that's me or not, Jim. <laughs> I, I've been asked to go out and help, so I'm really excited to be there. <laughs> you mean you t- changing the tires? Yeah, might, I'm not sure if that's me or not. Crew, right? They said there will be a team. So it could <laughs> be me. I don't know what I'm doing. I, well, I'm wondering if you're teaching people to climb hills. Well, that could be. What I'll do is just say, have you heard of Adventure Rider Radio? Go listen to that. <laughs> but this is very good. But, and that's in, it's in September you're going, right? Yeah, it's a five-day experience. Uh, the fees, I think, high 5000 almost 6000 Mm-hmm. But the idea is everything is taken care of. So it's really to show people what adventure riding is all about from a BMW perspective. So there'll be new bikes there that people can try. Uh, The dealers are involved so you can ship your bike from a local dealer across Canada and you just fly to it. Mm -hmm. And I've ridden in BC with what's called the World Trophy, but that was 10 years ago. So I'm really excited to go back and it's a perfect segue because wow, would there ever be steep hills? Oh yeah. This is right up your alley too, because I know you love to like not camp. <laughs> you like to yes. stay in, but this will be like taking it to a new level for you now. Big time. You know, cause it's a big fancy resort. Yeah. It'll be really exciting. And they have room for some more if any listeners want to come and they live in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it'll be a building process that'll be replicated around the world in different countries as a way to market adventure touring and adventure riding. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a great way, if you haven't done a lot of adventure riding, to do it with support. You're not by yourself. There's some nut at the back with tools and a tow rope and stories to tell you at dinner. That's me. <laughs> and there's a sweep truck behind me. If you have any issues, there'll be a spare bike for you. You're not going to be stranded out there. You don't need a satellite phone because I'll have one. The people up front have one. It's a very professional way to get into adventure riding with support. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to follow 30 people there'll be, you know, a suggested time to leave in order to get back for dinner. 
and you'll be given GPS coordinates, maps. And as long as you stick to the route, I'm coming up behind and a sweep truck behind me. So there's lots of support. Yeah, it's, no, it sounds very cool. I would love to go. I'm, I won't be able to do it this year, but I would love to go on something like this. And, it, and it's neat. They're, they're advertising with us for the, uh, for the event. So I'm pretty stoked about it. I think it's just a, a great thing. I mean, I, the more events you have for motorcycle stuff, the better it is for all of us, right? I mean, the more there is going on out there, it just develops more of an industry. So I think it's amazing. And, and this is in Canada. So, I mean, it's like the, the first ever in Canada. Yes, uh, I'm so excited. The riding will be out of this world. It'll be fantastic. But for me, Jim, the most fun is sitting around tables, having a coffee, or I'll have a root beer. You know, I'm allergic to alcohol. But yakking with fellow bike nuts mm-hmm. about adventure riding, you know, what bike do you have? What part of Canada are you from? That's the fun to me. I wouldn't want to do that trip all by myself. It's kind of that camaraderie you build between yeah. riders. Yeah. It's fantastic. That's part of my, you know, next to riding, that's a close second as far as favorite. So I'm really excited. Hey, Clinton, do you need somebody to, to, to polish your bike yes. and carry your stuff no, for no. you? I need an assistant, Jim, because there'll <laughs> I, I be can 30 be assistant. of them. What if there's two flat tires at once, Ooh. Jim? What are we going to do? Yeah, you'd be, just, that'd be horrific. <laughs> That's right. I have a brand new 1250 I'll ship out for you. It's oh, yours. right. Wow, that'd be amazing. But I'm sure you have far better, far more qualified people standing at your side. Would you ready to jump up to that opportunity? No, I doubt it. Just wing it. That's all <laughs> That's you need. Right. Well, let's get into talking about hills because today we're talking about the magic formula for climbing steep hills as well. Six common yet avoidable mistakes that novice riders make while doing it. Okay, let's let's dig into the, the magic formula. And, and of course, we don't want to give this whole magic formula away. We're going to work our way through it bit by bit and start with one piece at a time. So w- w- let's just talk about what we're talking about here as far as steep hills. Yeah, I think the contrast is the gentle hill that would you, you would do off-road is the gravel road dips down and then it goes back up. Usually, you don't even have to change gears. You could probably do it sitting down. It's not, wouldn't be thought of as difficult. It's just normal riding, but the road happens to have a dip in it. I think when people talk about steep hills, these are ones that you kind of go in your head, yikes, on the approach. And, you know, you can't see the top of the hill. This is pretty steep stuff. So whether you're in the mountains and you're doing a pass or out in the forest doing it, steep hills can be very intimidating for good reason. If you don't do it properly, that means you're probably going to be stuck partway up the steep hill and that can be ugly. Well, I guess the the real obvious thing is, is when you come up to a hill and you take a second look and think, oh, how am I going to tackle this? That's the kind of hill we're talking about. Not the kind of hill yes. where you just pour on more throttle, like you're saying, and, and climb up it. You know you're going to do that. These are the hills where you stop and you look at it and think, whoa, you know, and maybe the question is even, should I even do this? Can I do this? Exactly. That's what we tell people. If you don't have the opportunity, you know how I jokingly say, always let your friend go first. I think I've heard you say that, yeah. If you don't have a friend there, and this is a new hill for you, you've never seen it or tried it before, uh, 
Is it a good idea, especially if you're riding solo? Is it a smart idea to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. Uh, you may only go for part of it. And right. that could be a real problem and danger. Well, and worse than getting stuck could be tumbling back down. Yes. Gravity has a way of helping you back to the bottom. <laughs> uh, and sometimes we're on our bike and other times you're wondering, as you tumble down the hill, is the bike chasing me? Okay, well, well, let's tackle the first part of the magic formula. So what, what, is, what is probably, I guess, is this, the, is this the most important thing that you're going to talk about here, the first one? I, I think it is, because without this first one, the other two of the three magic formulas, it doesn't matter about them. You have yeah. to have momentum. In my opinion, that's paramount to being able to get up a steep hill. So the first step, to, to be clear, you're, you're talking about momentum. This, is, this momentum. is what we're talking about. The first step Absolutely. is momentum, understanding that. So, yes. so I think we, most of us understand, I think everybody understands what momentum is, but in motorcycle terms, just explain yeah, that. I, I would say it's how much throttle you would need to get up that steep hill. How much speed on the approach that will help carry you up the hill. Because it's exactly the same as you're running down the beach and you run into the waves of the ocean. Your speed through displacement drops dramatically. When you hit the water, you mean? Yeah, when you hit the water. Yeah, yeah. So the same analogy, you're pedaling along on a bicycle on flat ground and you see a big hill looming. You can't go the same speed and then once you're on the hill assume you're going to be able to carry that speed. You would pedal really hard on the flat approach, get your speed up, and that would help carry you up the hill. And then maybe you'd have to downshift to a lower gear to help you. And that's the exact same on our motorcycles. We need the momentum on the approach. So correct me if I'm wrong here, Clinton. This is how I picture it. With momentum for a hill climb, You've got to reach your maximum speed before you get on that hill because everything after that, when you start to hit the hill, you're slowing down. And the reason I'm saying that is that, so in other words, if you don't match that, that correct speed to begin with, the whole thing doesn't work because you're only going to drop your speed from there. Yeah. And I, I just think we have to be careful if someone's got a BMW 1250 and we say, you need your maximum speed on the approach. I would hate to hear about somebody doing 210 kilometers an hour. <laughs> no, that's that's a very good get, point. When I said maximum speed, I didn't mean the bike's maximum yes. ability. I meant right. the maximum speed that you're going to need to climb a hill. I should have been more clear yeah. about that. Yes. I that, thought we should qualify that. Yeah, no, that makes, the, the bike would be airborne for 400 meters before it landed. Yes, you right. got up the hill, but then it got very ugly. So I think what you meant was you need kind of the top speed that that steep hill required before you hit the hill. And right. that's exactly right. Now, how fast is that depends on the other things we're going to talk about. It comes with how much traction you have on that ground with your bike and your tires and your skill sets. But momentum is the key. What we tell customers, and I was teaching this yesterday to five folks on big adventure bikes. And what we said though, said to them was, 
it's actually smarter to have to slow down once you're on the hill because that has zero impact to traction. Mm. But if you're too tentative, you're a little overcautious, and you do not have enough speed and momentum, what a lot of people do is they get on the hill and realize, oh, oh, I'm not going to make it up this. I better pour on the throttle. And when the front wheel is elevated from the rear wheel, it's almost like a wheelie position. Giving it heavy throttle to these big, powerful bikes we ride can be a big problem with traction and the likelihood of you getting up that hill. So when I say it's smarter to slow down is you're on the hill, you've got great momentum and you realize, you know what, I could even back off the throttle a bit and coast and still make it up this hill. And that's good momentum, good speed. So what we asked these five participants yesterday is pretend three quarters of the way up the hill, you should be able to pull your clutch in, hit your kill switch, and coast the last quarter of the way up. Mm. And that gives them an idea of, oh, okay, I could slow down towards the top if I'm going too fast. And that has very little effect on success getting up. But trying to speed up while you're on the hill usually creates wheel spin at the back tire. And that's a big issue on the steeper the hill. It's even more important that you don't spin the tire while you're on it. Okay. So that's a good tip that I just picked up from you right there. We can start a little bit faster, but you, you, so you've, you've either got to be at the exact right speed or a little bit faster because you can always slow down a bit on the hill. The, the, the trick is, of course, not to keep your throttle on if you are going too fast right up and over the hill. Yes. Okay, so I, I, I'm assuming what you're going to tell me, Clinton, is you've got some calculation where if I say to you that the hill is a 15-degree hill, it's light sand, it's dry, there's uh, maybe half a dozen rocks on it, the ground is fairly level to begin with. What do I set my throttle at to oh, get yeah. up that hill? That's exactly what we do for customers. We're going to take a quick break. I have two things I want to tell you about. When we come back, we're going to dig into momentum. Clinton's got some great stuff on this. Stay with us. Anyone that spends much time in the outdoors in cool weather will already understand the concept that it's easier to stay warm, to keep yourself warm, than rewarm yourself after you allow yourself to get cold. The worst of that is your hands and your feet. Hands you can tuck under your armpits or put against something warm, but feet, feet are problematic because they're tucked into your boots. And when you're, when you're standing on your feet, they're on your foot pegs, your cold foot pegs. There isn't much incentive for your body as well to pump warm blood down into your feet. So what can you do about it? Well, you begin with great insulation, and that is your socks. Pearly's Possum Socks are specifically made for riding motorcycles. The owners, Duke and Margot, are riders themselves, always exploring on two wheels. They understand what us riders need and what feels right in a rider's boot. Pearly's Possum Socks are the best cold weather socks I've ever tried, and I've been heavily into the outdoors since I was a kid. Some of the, the great things I find with pearly socks are, one, the blend of the super soft merino wool and possum fur. That blend is incredible. 
both those those materials have natural fibers that wick away moisture from your skin. And that does two things. One, it keeps your, your skin feeling, your feet, you're feeling dry and comfortable. And two, by moving the moisture away from your skin, it reduces the cooling effect caused by evaporation. And of course, that means your feet are warmer and comfortable. So comfort, warmth. Another huge bonus is the natural lanolins in pearly socks in both those materials. The lanolins, which are naturally in those fibers of both merino wool and possum fur, they inhib- inhibit bacterial growth. So for us riders, what that means is no stink, less chance of stinky feet. And maybe your feet are really powerful. I don't know, but <laughs> less chance of stinky feet. And I've really put that to the test. Did I mention that Pearly's possum socks are also thick? So soft and thick, natural lanolin to combat bacteria. They're knitted as well into shapes specifically for motorcycle riding. Yes, by now you realize that you too should have a pair or two of Pearly's possum socks. They are the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio just because they are so darn good. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in this, you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. At the start of the show, Clinton and I were, were chatting about an event. That's the event I'm going to tell you about right now. It's Canada's first GS-only adventure from BMW Motorrad Canada. It's called ADVX. And it's happening September 10 to 15th this year. Five days of mainly off-road riding in the stunning Canadian Rocky Mountains. Hub and spoke styles, Clinton said. So you're staying at this incredible resort. Um, it's called Sun Peaks Grand Hotel. And then each day you ride out on a different guided or self-guided adventure in the area that somebody's went out and checked and marked into the GPS routes. I mean, it's an amazing way to ride. And the whole thing is, is backed by a team of master BMW technicians. They're there to help with minor repairs, tire installations, flats, et cetera, which is a huge bonus for something like this because that really gives you confidence when you're riding, knowing that if something goes wrong, you've got some backup there. So this all takes place in British Columbia. And as I said, it's one of the most spectacular riding areas in the world. It really is world-class. It's fully catered with accommodations. And get this though, Normally with something like this, you would have to get your bike to and from the event, which I think a lot of times really cancels people out for stuff. This one, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about how you're getting there or how you're getting your bike back. All you do is take your motorcycle to a select BMW dealer in Canada and drop it off. Then BMW Motorrad Canada takes care of all the logistics of shipping your bike out to BC. You just fly out and meet it. Then you do your ride. You spend your five days, have an amazing time. When it's over, You walk away from your bike and it happens in reverse. BMW takes your bike and then they deliver it back to the dealer you left it at. I love it. First, the adventure itself is, like I said, world-class riding. The accommodations, obviously, right along the same lines. I mean, it's really well-matched. And then it frees up that, that to and from thing. I mean, you can spend your full five days on your adventure and then get back to work. You know, not have a lot of peripheral time that you're spending getting to and from the event not to mention things that can happen as you're getting to and from an event. The only downside that I see to this event is that space is limited. They're only taking, I think, up to 50 riders or something like that. There's a number there, though. So I would reserve quickly if you uh, don't want to avoid, or if you want to avoid, rather, missing this ride. If you want, really want to go, get there and, and reserve. I'll give you the website. Here it is, advx.ca. Of course, it's called advx, and it's in Canada, so .ca. I'm just so impressed with what BMW Motorrad Canada has done putting this first ever GS adventure together. advx.ca is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio as well, please. advx.ca. 
calculation where if I say to you that the hill is a 15 degree hill, it's light sand, it's dry, there's uh, maybe half a dozen rocks on it, the ground is fairly level to begin with, what do I set my throttle at to oh, get yeah. up that hill? That's exactly what we do for customers, Jim. We put a sign at different levels on the hill with the recommended approach speed, you know, 40 miles an hour. Okay, it's a little right. steeper. Now 42. No. <laughs> Nobody you know, could that would, tell that. Would you that would actually work though, wouldn't it? You could probably it do that. You know, post a sign saying you'll you'll need roughly this speed to get up. And of course, I'm just giving you a hard time with it yes. with the calculations because the the point I'm trying to illustrate that I that I know you're going to talk about is that momentum is so much um it's a bit of an art. It's science and art, isn't it? I mean, you've got to, you've got to learn it. It comes, I think, with experience, like a coaching instructor standing on their boots as you do it. And when they talk about it, they should probably demonstrate it. And we ask the people that are involved, okay, listen, see if you can figure out what gear I'm in when I attack the hill and roughly what point of throttle based on the sound. And you'll kind of get a visual idea of how fast or slow I was going, going mm -hmm. up and then back down, of course. But the going up part, it is basically, it's about how much experience and skill you have. And that only comes with practice. Right. So the, the feeling when you're going up the hill is that you mentioned, you know, you're starting off fast, you're slowing down as you get up the top of the hill. When you get to the top, there's a certain feeling that you're expecting. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's, it's elation. You made it. <laughs> I was thinking more of the, the feeling of going up and over the top, you know, yes. so you know that you've got the momentum rather than the elation. Yeah, I get that yes. too. But uh, everyone who's tried hills, most of us were too tentative or we didn't mm. quite have the clutch covered. We'll talk about that in the problems people experience, but... That's why we've always recommended, and we'll chat about it in the homework, you don't start doing this on the steepest hill around, up a mountain. Start on some small hills. It doesn't matter if it's only 10 feet elevation from ground level up to the top of this little rise. It's the technique and the thought process in behind that'll really help riders. So what we'll say is, on the approach, make sure you give it a shot of throttle while you're still on the flat. And then three quarters of the way up, pull the clutch in and see if you can coast up the rest. That is giving the rider a little bit of a feel for the momentum required on that particular slope traction and what so, rate they're on. So when you reach the top of the hill... Your, your momentum should be down to just a very slow speed. I mean, you're basically going over the top and you're rolling along at, uh, I don't know, what, 10 kilometers an hour, six miles yeah, an hour, something like exactly. that? exactly. Above a wobble speed. Wobble speed to us, for most riders, is under 10 kilometers an hour, six miles an hour. It's very hard for most riders to have both feet up on the pegs and go less than 10 kilometers, six kilometers, miles per hour, the mm. bike starts to wobble. So we call that a wobble speed. So if you're doing 40 miles an hour at the very top of the hill, there could be a drop off on the other side with a long way down to the bottom. Mm. So <laughs> if you have to jam the brakes on at the top of the hill, 
you should have backed off the throttle long before. We call it scrubbing off speed. You can usually do it on a hill with merely your right hand. Just roll off the throttle, slip in the clutch to take the power away from the back wheel, and you coast up, dropping your speed as you crest the hill. Okay, and you, you've already said this, this is going to take practice to figure out. Can I just ask you before we go on any further with, with this momentum on, because, you know, it's obvious what's going to happen if, if the person isn't successful. What are the methods for stopping? Like, let's say you haven't got enough momentum to begin with. So when people are practicing this, and I know we're going to get more into this in, in the homework section, but what do you do? How do you stop? How do you get yourself turned around? How do you come back down? Yeah, so just in case we got the momentum thing wrong, or maybe it's rocky, you're bouncing around and that drops your momentum and you decide, you know what? I'm not making it. I have to stop. The instinctive way to stop is the way we do on the road, flat ground. You pull in both levers, clutch and front brake, and you put your feet down. Well, guess what happens on the steep hill? Mm -hmm. When you stop and the front tire is higher than the rear tire, there's a weight transfer that goes back that puts mass and weight on the rear tire. The rear suspension is compressed. Now, at the other end, the front forks are actually elongated. They're taller. And there's very little weight if your bike's pointing upward on the front tire. Now, what you've done is you've pulled in the clutch, so there's zero engine braking now, isn't there? Because mm-hmm. you've got your clutch in. It's in gear, but you've got your clutch in, you've got yeah. your engine running, it and you're hauling well. on that front brake like it's the, yeah. <laughs> you know, now, the last thing on earth. You've put the front brake on, but all the weight's on the back wheel. So guess what happens to the locked up front wheel? There's going to be some screaming, Jim. <laughs> you go skidding sim- back down yeah. with that front wheel locked up. And that usually involves a crash. So I didn't understand this system until I became a BMW instructor. And I thought, whoever invented this is brilliant. And it's hard to do, but it's something that I recommend people practice. I think we've talked about it on previous shows, but it'll sound nuts at first. But when you're still moving on the hill and you realize, holy crap, I'm not going to make it. Step number one. Leave the clutch all the way out. This is the first time that Clinton will say, you do not pull the clutch in or have two fingers. Doesn't matter. Mm. Leave the clutch all the way out. Then what we want you to do is stomp as hard as you can on the back brake, the foot brake. What happens is the bike stalls right away because I didn't pull my clutch in, Mm -hmm. which is the hardest thing to remember because when have any of us stopped without pulling the clutch in? Probably the first few times when we were beginner sorry, riders, go, go people back. You, forgot. You cut it there. So when have any of oh, us... Oh, sorry. That's okay. Yeah. When have any of us, Jim, ever stopped without pulling the clutch in? It's such, oh. a, such a muscle memory habit that we would do that without even thinking. Well, mm-hmm. on a steep uphill, when you have to stop and not crash backwards, we don't want you to touch the clutch. Leave it out. Stomp on the rear brake the bike stalls. Now, it doesn't go anywhere because first gear is kind of like an anchor that you've thrown out onto the hill. All of the weight 
transfer is going to the back wheel. The back wheel is hooked up to first gear via the drive shaft belt or chain, and the bike is stationary. It's held there. So it's almost like you've got it in park if it was an automatic, or you or you've got it's like putting the rear brake on. It's like you're you're holding the rear brake on, except in this case you're free to put both feet down, whichever foot down. Uh, what it, that you need on the hill and the bike will stay there because that rear wheel's locked up. Exactly. So I, I have a question for yeah. you with this. Now, you, know, you, you said that this is for the BMWs. What if it's not a BMW? Oh, it does, works with every bike. Oh, um, it does. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's what I was saying with, it was a German instructor that taught me this when I became a BMW instructor. No, and I know. I, I think it's funny though. You, yeah. you BMW riders, you're always throwing out that this BMW thing. That's right. <laughs> I have lots of other bikes, Jim. I've tried it on a T7. It's exactly the same. Right. <laughs> uh, one difference is that compression in an engine will, when your piston moves up and down, even in first gear, when we do this stop on the hill with the clutch out, there'll be a little motion of the piston subsequently the back wheel will revolve half a revolution until it grabs and locks. Mm, But once the bike is stopped, you don't need to touch another brake for the rest of this exercise. First gear holds it there. Then what we do for the turnaround, because you're composed now, you did a shoulder check. None of your chucklehead friends were dumb enough to follow you closely up the hill. So you don't have to worry about them. We can turn around and go back down. Let, let me just interject there yeah. b- because what you should be doing is when you come to something like that with a group of people, wait till the first per- or the person in front of you makes it all the way up to the top and is over the lip before you start running up. Seems obvious, but I'm always surprised at how many people will run right up behind the next person. Exactly. So in this instance that we're describing, I was the dummy that volunteered or my buddy say, you know, Clinton, you're an instructor. You go first. Okay. And I'll fall for it. But they're just giggling down at the bottom and they're all chatting amongst themselves. Now, there's no way he's not, he's not going to make that. And they were right. So none of them have even started their bikes. They're just waiting for me to turn around and they're giggling thinking, okay, let's see how he does this. (laughs) Well, the way that they should see it happen is with both feet down The bike's in first gear, the engine shut off, don't touch the clutch or any brake. Turn your handlebars full lock to the left, then put your right foot up onto the brake side foot peg and kick your left boot as far away from the motorcycle as the length of your leg allows. So both cheeks of your butt are off the seat towards the left side of the bike. So that means my bike is leaning uphill. We don't want it to lean downhill, Jim, because that's one long step. Mm -hmm. So now it's leaned over. I've got the bars turned as far as they'll go. Now what I'm going to do is extremely slowly, I'm going to slip the clutch in very, very gradually. There's no hurry here because if you pull the clutch in right to the bar, that bike with gravity is going to whip around backwards so fast, you'll probably crash there. So it's extremely sensitive, gentle clutch release. Don't pull it all the way in. As the clutch starts to slip, it's going to allow the back wheel to turn 
backwards. Now I'm going to move maybe a foot and a half or so. Then I'm going to let the clutch out and recompose myself. I'll reposition my left boot. I'll have a look around. Okay, I got a long way to go. It's got to turn a lot more to pivot around. Then I'll slip the clutch in again. Move. Okay, hang on, hang on. You cut out. Oh, so sorry. You, said you, you got you got to turn a lot more. Go start there. Yeah. So you've got to turn a lot more. That's why you look around and see how am I doing? Where am I in space? Because most people are looking at the ground. So at this point, you're you're sort of sideways on the hill. Yeah, I'm almost there. So you keep slipping the clutch, moving your foot, leaning up the hill until the front wheel pivots around backwards in an arc, a circle, until the point where gravity isn't helping you anymore. You pull the clutch in and nothing happens. The bike's almost perpendicular to the hill now. Then, no brakes, clutch is fully out, keep it leaned uphill, and move the front wheel with the handlebars full lock to full lock five or six times. Left, right, left, right, left, right. Exactly. And what happens, Jim, is the front tire crabs down the hill six inches or so every time you do this. The more mm -hmm. lean you have uphill, the more the sidewall of your front tire bites the ground. If it's standing straight up and down, it doesn't move very much. So it's important you keep it leaned way up the hill. Now, I'm pretty well pointing downhill. I'm still completely in control and composed because my clutch is out. First gear still holding me. Then when I'm ready, I put a brake on to hold the bike in place. I use the front now because I'm pointing downhill. The weight transfers on the front tire. I pull in the clutch, fire up my bike, and I go back down the hill that I couldn't make it up. And I do then two choices. I either decide, you know what, that hill is nuts. I'm not going up there. Or two, I decide, you know what, I think I can make it. I just didn't have enough momentum. So I'm going to hit the hill on a faster approach speed so that my speed helps carry me up the hill without a last loss of traction. Okay. I, I thought you were going to say when you get to the bottom, that's where you have to tie up your laces and tell one of your buddies, no, you go ahead. I'm going to be there in a second, yeah, even right. though you're wearing buckled <laughs> boots. Yeah. <laughs> Send them up there. Okay. And you were saying about working the, the bars back and forth and how it crab walks down the hill. I was just thinking, you know where you can, you can try that. And it's really easy to see the effect of it. It's just with a bicycle, put a bicycle on any sort of a hill sideways and work it back. I mean, it doesn't take much at all. And you'll see how well that movement works. Exactly. And what I'll see in extreme mountain bike races, that bike's worth more than some of my motorcycles. So it weighs oh, I know. 20 pounds or something. So when yeah. they get to those steep hills, they jump off, pick it up and run up the hill. That's not <laughs> That's really, not really That's a different an method. option for us. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe in the future as bikes get lighter, yes. you know, they'll, they, they, we'll have that option. But, but until then, we're, we're going to have to turn it around the way you said, which uh, is obviously very effective. Okay, so that's great. So that helps us understand momentum, that first part of the magic. And, and you said the most important part of the magic formula, correct? Yes, I think it is. Right. The so we have momentum, we understand momentum, we understand what to do if it doesn't uh, work out. What's the next part of this magic formula I think, that we need to understand? I think it's traction, Jim. 
grip mm. that we have mm -hmm. on that particular surface on the hill, if it's a paved hill or very hard kind of rocky ground, but the rocks aren't big. And I'm thinking of last June or July, sorry, we were in Colorado and the mountain passes were fantastic traction because it was very, very hard ground interspersed with flat rock. So if you had mm -hmm. a relatively good tire, and what I mean by that is soft enough compound that you're going to get grip, the traction was unbelievable. And with the power of a big adventure bike, it'll walk almost straight up. And these long, long mountain passes that went from sea level up to 11,000 feet. And the traction was really unbelievable. I was giddy with how much grip there was. It was really surprising, but it was really steep. So if you stopped, you were done. You had to yeah. find out a way to turn around because your momentum then was gone. So it was a matter of picking your line, zigging and zagging, but the traction, because it was rocky. Sorry, sorry, it was a matter of, go back to it was a matter of? Oh, it was a matter of traction. Because it was so grippy, we could just idle up in first gear with the torque that a big bike provides. I was going to say BMW, Jim, but it's any kind of bike. <laughs> any big For bike. Any kind of bike. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. They would all walk up there. I think you could have got a gold wing up there. There was so much traction. It's interesting when you're, you're saying this, and I think about how it works, how just a little bit of movement will keep you going. But as you said, if you stop, the chance of actually getting going again, like there's such a huge difference, you know what I mean? In yes. that tiny little space of a small movement to no movement. It is. And that's why, you know, I was at the back, well behind the people who decided they wanted to try it. But they didn't really have the experience, which we're going to talk about later. So their judgment in how much momentum they needed wasn't really there. Despite the fact they had good traction, when they hit a rock and it was disconcerting, they shut the throttle off. And that meant no more forward momentum. They had to stop and put a foot down and try not to fall backwards. And they just kind of were there shaking when I passed them. Because I can't stop because I'm in the same boat. So I had mm -hmm. to go up higher than they were till I got a spot where I thought I'll be able to continue if I can get them going. Park the bike, walk back down, turn their bike around. And sometimes they were a little too scared to drive it down the steepness. So mm -hmm. I would take it back down to where it was, you know, a little bit easier for them. And then walk all the way back up for my bike. So just to be clear, because what we said just a minute ago was to make sure that your buddy, whoever you're riding with, has cleared the hill before you come up. What we're talking about here, these hills that you're talking about, rather, are so big yes. that you'll be 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes or whatever. I mean, you literally, you've got to give some distance. So, so I guess if the hill is super big, what you've got to do is give adequate distance so that if there is problems ahead of you, you've got to see it. You can react and, and do some sort of avoidance. Exactly. Um, and the big right. thing with me as the sweep rider on these commercial trips I do, I have an idea in my head that I'm, in I'm responsible for those people who are in front of me. And generally, mm -hmm. 
they're the least experienced participants on the tour. Because you know how, okay, let's go riding. The most experienced people have their helmets on and done up first. They're on the bike. And some people, and I'm generalizing, but I meet so many customers in my job. Uh, We had five folks yesterday, four men, one lady. Before we even got on the bikes, Liz said to the group, I'll I'll ride at the back because I I don't want to hold anyone up. And she was by far not the least experienced or tentative rider. But sometimes men will have an overestimation of their riding abilities yeah, I think we've talked about yeah, that. <laughs> and women will downplay them. So I won't hear any of it. The proof is in the pudding. And I tell them, you don't have to ride at the back. You can ride wherever you want. The idea is we're not going to see how fast we can all go. The slower you go is going to make it a better learning experience for those guys who just want to go fast. Well, as we all know, it's pretty easy to ride a motorcycle on flat, straight ground to go fast. You could almost let go of the handlebars. It'll keep going. So the slower you go is better. That'll challenge the people behind you. Okay. So when now you're talking about traction. So does, does traction, are you referring to traction only in getting enough momentum to begin with? Or is, does it come into play the whole way up? Yeah, it all the way up because... The ground surface, when it's not pavement, is really affected by the environment. So it could be hard rock when you start. Then there's a little water crossing on an angle coming down the mountainside. So now it's going to be slipperier over the wet rocks. Then you get through that. You've burned the moisture off your tires. It's kind of dissipated. Then there's some sand and very loose gravel on top of the hill. Or maybe you came to a dirt, grassy, or muddy section as you're going up. So traction is a huge variable. And it's a finer point of riding is we talk about and practice body position on the motorcycle relevant to climbing steep. If you envision a tree that's on the side of the hill, isn't it going straight up? It's not on an angle. Mm -hmm. So your body should be leaning forward, you know, chin over the handlebars or the headlight so that you're looking like the straight tree as you pass them. But if you're sitting back too far or standing back too far, that lightens the front end too much. And if there's good traction, you could have problems with that. The bike front wheel could come off the ground. So what, I, what I'm, uh, the way I picture it then is as far as when we're talking about traction is our choices are one is the only thing to do with traction is either have a, uh, a knobby or tire or pick a better route. If there's one possible, if you could do that. So in other words, if you could avoid the sand and go up a, a rock face, a flat rock face, you're obviously going to get more traction with any tire, but otherwise it's, it comes down to your tire choice to begin with, which happens long before you even came to the hill. Correct? Yes, I agree. So um, I think we talked about on another podcast, Jim, me being an idiot and leaving the stop. 
We're going to take a quick break here. I've got two things I want to tell you about. When we come back, Clinton's going to get into some tire tips and, well, a bunch more. Stay with us. Overland Expo puts on the biggest overlanding shows in the world. And coming this August 25th to 27th is Overland Expo Mountain West held in Loveland, Colorado at The Ranch. This is a weekend not to be missed by anyone or for anyone interested in overlanding of any kind. Whether you ride day trips, overnighters, or longer, there's just so much to see and experience at Overland Expo. It's three days packed with activities, presentations. They've got a massive vendor exposition. You can camp all weekend, and for us motorcycle riders, they have moto activities specific for us, like the moto dinner. They've got an ADV skills area for classes on riding skills, even roadside repairs, tire changing in the field. They've got roundtable talks. You can hear stories from travelers that have already done trips that you may be interested in. And as I said, you can camp there for the weekend, or you can go on a day pass. But this means a lot of quality time with like-minded people, especially if you're spending the weekend. You're going to need to get your tickets online in advance, so best do it soon because it's a wildly popular show, obviously, and there are limits. OverlandExpo.com is the website. That is for Overland Expo Mountain West, August 25th to 27th. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. OverlandExpo.com. Adventure motorcycles tend to be heavy. And after we throw on our tools and maybe some camping gear, they become even heavier. And that weight can be difficult to control, particularly in dirt when moving slowly. So to help counter that, we replace our stock foot pegs with IMS Products foot pegs. Because IMS Products makes wider foot pegs that give you the added leverage that you need to control that extra weight, as well as the added traction between your foot and the peg for ultimate control. So why IMS Products foot pegs? Because since 1976, IMS Products has been designing and manufacturing parts that are so functional, so tough, that almost every off-road racer that stands on a podium is using an IMS product. You see, IMS is a company of riders, enthusiasts. So when they design a part from the ground up, it's driven by passion. Passion for great designs and something that they can stand behind and be proud of. And they do stand behind them with a lifetime warranty. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Yes, I agree. So um, I think we talked about on another podcast, Jim, me being an idiot and leaving the stock tires on a T7 Yamaha that I shipped to oh, this is in Arizona. Baja, right? Yeah. So yeah. I read all about the trip. The trip organizer, Clint, said, you know what? It's 70% pavement. And then there's some gravel roads. And remember that old road to the mission we did years ago? That's a little bit of sand. And I'm thinking, well, you know, at my skill level, the 80% pavement, 20% dirt tire should be fine. Because it was a really cold day when I'm, I got the bike assembled. And I don't know if you remember, we were snowmobiling then in February when oh, I had yeah, to ship right. the bike. So I tried test riding it just to break it in a little bit because it's brand new. I crashed twice in my own driveway, Jim, because it was <laughs> snow and ice. 
<laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll break it in in Phoenix, Arizona. We'll ship it by truck, then fly down. So I left the stock tires on when I should have known better. You know, I talk and preach about having the right tires to everybody that goes on these trips. And there's Clinton, the hypocrite on stock tires. They, I got to ask, yeah. why did you do that? Why didn't you just swap the tires out? Uh, I was cheap and it was really cold. So the thought of being outside spooning tires on, uh, okay. I thought, eh, to heck with that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. No, it doesn't, but I'm an idiot. No, but I mean, I, I understand <laughs> your thought process. I get that. Okay. Yeah. And I would have been fine other than that day from hell, the trail from hell where we had, mm. you know, a foot and a half of sand that was like flour. And so when I was on steep hills in Baja, I had to have way more momentum on the steep hills I attempted because I didn't have the traction and grip with the stock uh, tire. Right. So if you have the wrong tire for the steep hill you're envisioning, you, you got to go faster to get that momentum because you're going to lose traction with uh, a stock tire. I didn't have a good tire for what I was trying to do. And that was a big problem. And of course, the faster you go, the, the higher the risk is. Yes, there's definitely a factor involved. One of our instructors says, uh, ride at the speed you're comfortable crashing at. Yeah, I like that. And there's a little <laughs> bit of truth in that. You can't go flying wide open in third gear up these steep, steep hills because... When you hit something that makes you lose traction or it's a little obstacle, log, rock, root, the higher speed problem makes it a lot harder to recover from hitting that obstacle or losing the traction because the rear wheel could slide right out. Mm -hmm. And at speed, that's way harder to recover from. So obviously, if you're, you're thinking tires, I mean, without getting into the whole tire thing, knobbier tires are going to give you more, more traction in most things, I guess, unless you were going to, um, to uh, slick rock or something like that. Yes. And um, I'm a big fan of softer compound tires. So it's a compromise. I convince myself is worthwhile, Jim. I don't care if they last 3000 miles, if they're soft and they're going to give me really good grip when I need it. And that's a big part of my success in riding tough sections or steep hills is the tire that I have. So it's not just your skill. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> it's the so bike. the tires that you run, you've, you've, said, you've mentioned the, the name of the tire before. What is it? Well, there's, there's less availability in the brands that I really liked. There's one that's five years ago, I absolutely loved a brand that I found it was a little more expensive it was called anlas capra x they're made in turkey in the same factory as hydenow now hydenow 10 years ago you could get a lot of kilometers out of those tires but yeah. 10 years ago in my opinion they were very hard compound so you sacrificed grip for longevity of kilometers or miles. That mm -hmm. wasn't a tire that met my demands. I don't care how long it lasts. I'll put two sets on in a summer. 
it, right. because it's like using premium gas versus regular gas. If your bike calls for it, you're happy using it. It costs mm-hmm. you more, but it has peace of mind for you. Tires are like that. Now, having said that, though, um, you know, hiding out tires, for instance, if you if you needed mileage and you were on the highway, then that would be that, t- that type of tire that lasts longer would be your choice for that sort of thing. So it just all depends on what you're riding. Exactly. Terrain-wise. And so this Anlas Capra X, because it wore out so quickly, uh, people didn't buy them because I'm the minority nut of adventure bike riding because I don't want it to last 20,000 kilometers 16,000 miles. That tire has got to be a hard compound in order to do that. Mm-hmm. And what often is the case, not with old tires, but from my experience, that causes the front tire to be very loud when I do ride on the pavement, which is disconcerting for me. I wear earplugs on the highway, and if it's still loud, it takes away from my enjoyment of the ride. Where those mm-hmm. and last cappers were so soft. I would wear them out in one tour, a week-long trip, but they were quiet and gave me fantastic grip everywhere I went. So these are so soft, they leave a track everywhere you've ridden. Exactly. (laughs) So um, the distributor phoned me and goes, Clinton, you know what? You're the only nut buying those tires. I can't bring them in anymore because they're not selling. So I bought 12 tires that he had in stock. (laughs) And I have one set left. I keep them in a black plastic bag so the sun doesn't harden them as Mm -hmm. quickly as exposed tires do. And then so I got one more trip for tires that fit my BMW. And then I'm going to have to buy another brand. So I went to TKC80 Continental Tires for Mm -hmm. the fleet of BMWs I bought. And they were harder than those and last Capra X, but still fantastic. But they're not going to do the really high mileage that some customers want in their tire. Mm-hmm. But remember, I cheat. I ship my bike to the exotic location I'm going to travel in. You know, Baja, the Yukon, Alaska, Colorado. And then I fly in. So as I'm flying over top of the truck that's moving my bike, my tires aren't getting worn out. Yeah. But then there was a recall issue with Continental. And I think the president of Continental Tires said, you know what? You know, 3% of our sales are motorcycle tires. And we've got this recall hassle. Eh, we're not going to make tires anymore. They just do car and truck tires. So we can't get TKC 80s, which was my next favorite tire. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is news to me because that, that is my favorite tire. That's the tire that I run. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I need a front one now. You're saying they're not available anymore? No. Can't get them oh. in Canada. And I'm not sure about other parts of the world, but that's what I was told by the distributor wow. is that they couldn't get TKC80s anymore. That's horrible. But the mm. benefit is, unlike 20 years ago, now there is tons of tire manufacturers making great adventure bike tires for us. Mm -hmm. So you can go on any forum and people will give you uh, their reviews of tires that they've chosen. So that's what I'm doing now. But I'm the rarity that wants something really, really soft and and quiet. Most people will go for longevity and they don't care about the noise. 
Clinton, can you talk about tire pressure for a minute and, yes. and how, how that affects things and maybe even give some ideas of what tire pressures you may run for something like this? Absolutely. There's many different thoughts. Uh, when did I become a BMW instructor? 2011. And what we were told when we talked about tires was drop the manufacturer's recommended pressure down. So if it says your rear tire should be 42, drop it down to 25. And the same with the front, drop it down to 20 or 25. Now, hang on, is that a calculation or is that just a, like a sort of a, like a reference, just an average a reference? reference. Okay. So diminish the tire pressure when you're riding off-road. That was the thought process in 2011. So the concept is for off-road, you're going to hit roots and rocks. You're also going to have traction challenges. So with less air in the tires, I'm sure you did this, Jim, in the Jeep world. If it's stuck in the mud, you let some of the air out and it gives you a wider footprint because the weight of the vehicle squishes the tire flatter. There's less air in it. That may help you get unstuck. The issue, when they told me that, I'm thinking, these guys are crazy. I would bend my rims. Where I ride, there's a lot of rock and roots and things and potholes. So if I don't have good tire pressure, when you hit the rock, the rock's energy, the energy of hitting it goes through the tire into the rim. And if it bends it, it doesn't matter if you have traction. Now you have no air in your tire. Mm-hmm. Or so, at least a damaged rim. Yeah. Yeah. So my personal preference is I run the manufacturer's recommended tire pressure for that tire. It says right on it. So if like as yeah. far as the bike goes. The, the, exactly. The, yeah. The, so you look at your bike and see in the manual what it tells you for pressure and you're running that maximum. That has to do, like you wouldn't do the same for a dirt bike. It has to do with no. the adventure bike weight, doesn't it? Exactly. And I don't know if I've related the story, but on one of these Yukon trips, I pulled a, a really nice KTM off the trailer and I said to my buddy, I said, these tires have got hardly any air in them. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's Keith's bike. He likes running it with low air. So when Keith showed up the next day, we're getting ready to go and going, what do you got in your tires? He goes, I don't know. I usually run about 15, 15 pounds. I would do that on a 250 if there was no rocks around. But on a 1090 KTM, this is a 500 pound plus bike. There's no way I would run 15. But this gentleman was a pro enduro racer who just happened to get in adventure bikes. Mm. And he didn't really think about the extra weight and speed that that tire would be going compared to a 250, 250 pound motorcycle for racing. Mm -hmm. So I said to him, man, you are going to bend rims and get flat tires. He goes, I haven't yet. Well, his experience on the bike was riding around Ontario. Roads are a little different in the Yukon. They don't have the municipal budgets to grade the potholes out or pave the rough roads. So despite my warnings, no, he was adamant. That's what I run, man. 15. 
So guess who was on the side of the road on the first day with a flat tire? Mm -hmm. So I said, I'll fix it for you, but I'm putting 32 in it. No, man, I run 15. I said, just try it. I beg you, just try 32. If you don't like it, I'll change it for you. Funny enough, I had a tire gauge and he didn't. So I fixed a flat tire. I pumped both tires up to 32. And at dinner, he was a level-headed enough person, very strange for the male of the species. But he came over and shook my hand and thanked me. He goes, you know what? That bike has never handled that well since I've owned it. Mm, right. It was two years old. He said, I can't believe the difference that pressure made. It's unbelievable. And he gets flats all the time, but now he doesn't. Oh, so wow. for me, I would rather bounce around a little bit because I've got a little more air in than some people. But I would rather do that than fix a broken rim or a bent rim. If you're on an adventure ride, it's very, very expensive and takes a lot of time to get a new wheel UPSed or FedExed to you. It's possible, mm -hmm. but it could take a week. There's your trip. Yeah, not to mention the expense of any of these rims nowadays. Yeah. Depending on where you're getting them. But, but, and you did make the point of saying that there are instances maybe where, you know, if you were stuck in the sand or something or in the mud where you might want to lower your pr pressure still to get yeah. out and then pump it up afterwards. Yeah, that's an old trick. Um, the last time I did it, I went into an underground in Ottawa, Canada, and there's a long line up in front of me. We were supposed to park down there. They were going to do a little shopping. So I'm stuck on this long down ramp into the underground. And when I looked up over top of the cars, I see a Winnebago. Sorry, you cut out. You're stuck oh, on the sorry. long ramp. Yeah, down we're in stuck the on this long ramp. And when I looked over top of the cars, there's a Winnebago jammed into the entrance. It's refrigerated unit or air conditioned unit is but smashed into the roof. So I parked my bike, leaned it up against the brick wall, left it in gear. And I walked down and everybody's arguing because when you get 10 men together, you'll get 10 opinions <laughs> on how to get on that to get thing out. Yeah. Everybody's an expert. And they're all arguing, no, no, drive it forward. It might break that thing, but then you'll be, you'll be all right. You're in. And I'm thinking, well, how's he going to get back out? <laughs> and there's plumbing in the underground. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, the pipes that are sticking down underneath, yeah. Then I heard other people say, no, no, we'll get a couple cars and we'll drag it backwards. Has anybody got a change? Anybody? No, nobody had a change. So I went down, found out who the owner was, and I said, you know what? Let's let some air out of your four wheels and your truck will back up that hill. So once we did that, it broke free. Then the hardest part was getting all the chuckleheads to agree whose place they were to back out in order so nobody would steal their place in mine. <laughs> but we did it. And that was a great instance of the tire flattens out with less tire pressure, but you can still run on it. Mm -hmm. But you just don't want to hit any big rocks because it will bend. Most right. critically, if your bike has those solid rims, it might have five metal spokes rather than 55 tiny spokes. The tiny spoked wheels that come with most adventure bikes flex 
that's part of your suspension when you hit rocks and roots and logs and stuff. If you could slow down a video of it, you'd see the spokes flexing so you don't wreck your rim. Mm -hmm. The solid wheel, there's not much flex there. So the, the most vulnerable component is the round rim. It's going to bend. And we've seen that on, I guess, the last three years, I've had to fix three rims in Baja and in the Yukon, where people have hit rocks in the sand or up there in the north, there's a lot of potholes. And I was able to rebend one with a blowtorch and a crescent wrench. That was a KTM wheel. It's very tough. The other one on the side of the road, I used a rock to get it round and it fixed. But I would rather not do that. So I'm, I check everybody's tires in the morning. And if it's not at what I think is the recommended pressure, I get their input, but try to coerce them. I mean, convince them <laughs> into putting good tire pressure in it. Okay. All right. That all makes sense. Good tire pressure talk. Well, what else is in this magic formula? Are there any more parts to it? Yeah, I think in addition to momentum and traction, skill is skill. the next part. Because if you've got the first two, you can kind of wing the third one. You can kind of coast up that good grip. If you've got good momentum, it isn't a tough hill as far as obstacles or erosion ruts. It's, you know, even if it's a nosebleed high altitude, you can walk up that with momentum and traction. But it's when the first two are compromised a little, that's when skill comes in. Skill and experience also help you determine what momentum is required for your bike, the steepness of the hill, and the available traction. So skill is something you develop through experience. So this isn't going to be something that you can buy off the shelf, read about, or watch a video. This is something you actually have to do. Yes. And thank goodness for YouTube because it shows us exactly how to do it. And you can easily just go out and do it. Uh, no, you really do need to burn some gas. You've got to get out there and practice it, which we've got some great tips, Jim, for homework to try this. Okay. Use your friend's motorcycle. That's one of the tips. Okay. Yeah. Hang on one second though. So, so, okay. So the magic formula, momentum, traction, and skill. And skill is going to take some work um, it does. To, to get this down. I think skill and experience are the, that third component. And you don't get skill without experience. You can mm -hmm. get lots of experience by doing it wrong, but having good skills that get you to the top of the steep hill that's impossible to do without practice, which is the experience. Okay, so um, we, we've got um, the magic formula, momentum, traction, and skill. Now we're going to talk about common mistakes. And, and I believe that you have, I think you, you've got six, six yes. common mistakes that people make. So which one, do we start with the, mo the, the most egregious or the most yes. common? How do you do that? I think it's momentum. So, so, so is that the most common or is that the worst one? It's the most common reason why people don't make it up to the top of the hill. Okay. It's the most common time when Clinton says under his breath, 
Ah, shoot. Now I got to get off it. my bike, walk up the hill, <laughs> pick them up, turn it around. Ah, shoot. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes another adjective, but right. it's usually because they were tentative. They just didn't give it enough gas on the approach. So you run out of momentum halfway up the hill. Then they add throttle, which leads to a lack of traction and they don't get up the hill. So they lack the skill and experience to choose the proper momentum. Exactly. And um, so the beauty of taking some rider training, not plugging, you know, come to Canada and learn this. You could do it anywhere. But having a buddy maybe with a bit more experience, watch their line, watch and listen to the sound of the engine. Try to figure out what gear they on. You know what? I heard them shift into second. That will tell you reams of information that will help you when you try it. Mm -hmm. So just going out blindly by yourself is dangerous and it's a gamble. It's you're throwing the dice. Is this fast enough? Is this the right gear? Right. It's just trial. It's it's a steep learning curve at that point. Whereas if you have somebody nearby that knows what they're doing, they can just simply, no, no, you're not going fast enough or you've got to lean forward more. All those things that makes it better. Exactly. Now, where we reduce risk and improve confidence is we always start, we'll talk about later, with little hills. If you don't Hmm. have the technique on the little one, what are you doing on a big hill? Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. but not enough momentum is the biggest problem. Okay, what's next? Not covering the clutch. You Mm. know, I've said before, Jim, they're going to put it on my gravestone. This is the nut that would not shut up about two fingers over the clutch. I talk about it all day long when I'm teaching. And then I give up and I just give the visual signal of the two fingers next to my thumb. I just hold my left hand up and wiggle those two fingers. And that's mm-hmm. enough to remind, oh yeah, got to get it back on. Otherwise the guy's going to razz me about having nothing on the clutch, just hanging on to the left grip. So when we don't cover the clutch, you're going up the hill. Let's say the rear wheel slips out to the right or the left. Now the bike isn't going straight anymore. And what we found, and I found it myself, I can remember doing this as a kid. When our brains are panicked, you hear that little, ah, in your helmet, some screaming coming from your helmet. Mm -hmm. If you're hanging on to the left grip, tightly with your whole hand around the left grip, it's impossible when you're freaked out to release partial grip, reach out and pull the clutch partially in. Oh yeah. And the reason I think that's paramount skill to have is that the throttle can often get us in trouble. The clutch will always get you out. Mm -hmm. So if my back wheel starts spinning and sliding out, to the right and now my front wheel's pointing off the hill into the trees or ditch or cliff to the left my fingers are resting on the clutch two of them I slip the clutch in which takes the spin away from the tire stops that I straighten out my steering and then I hit the clutch out again to hook it back up without losing Mm -hmm. much momentum this takes a millisecond to do Jim 
But mm-hmm. if your hand is tight around the left grip, when that bike slides out to the right or left, and now you're pointing perpendicular to the uphill, you're done. Because in a panic, you cannot reach out fast enough if you can even let go of the white knuckle grip and pull the clutch in. When you pull that clutch in, it takes the power away from the rear wheel and the rear wheel will automatically pull in line behind the front wheel in the direction of of your travel. It's magic. So that's why it's so important, right? I mean, it's it's just like instant recovery. It's it's just amazing. So I can can definitely see why that's a, a common mistake. Where people may see it or they can watch YouTube videos of it is the extreme steep hills of a hill climb bike. I don't know if you've been to a hill climb gym, but in where I'm from, before there was the environmental concern of the dust cloud settling on Buffalo 500 miles from my house, we used to watch organized events. And people come from all over the U.S. and Canada to monster hills, probably at a ski resort or something. Mm -hmm. And they have the bikes that have extended frames, elongated swing arms. Because the longer your motorcycle is, the harder it is to flip over backwards when it's really, really steep. So they have maybe two chains instead of one because the back wheel is so far away from the engine. Right. And these guys have great big knobs on their tires, maybe even chains to get traction. And they use the clutch and the kill switch because to make it more challenging, they put jumps on the hill. So it's not just a straight climb. There's actually leaps. The bike's in the air for a couple seconds. What these racers would do is they hit the kill switch just before they take off the ground so it doesn't go too high and flip over backwards. And they pull the clutch in a little, which stops the wheel spin when going over big obstacles or bumps. And then the clutch is out and they hit the throttle again to spin up these monster hills. But most of us, we don't have that ability And we don't need to shut the engine off to do this. Uh, But covering the clutch is really, really important. And that's a common mistake because people's riding experience is not riding with two fingers over the clutch if you're new to adventure bike. Right. Okay. So common mistakes. We've got two so far. We've got not enough momentum and not covering the clutch. What's number three? The rider hits maybe a rock or a rut and they lose momentum. So Uh. part of that is vision issues. They're looking right in front of their front wheel. Well, by the time you see that obstacle, it's too late. You're already in it. You're in the rut Mm -hmm. or you've hammered into a big rock. If you hit this big rock halfway up the hill, a bunch of things happen. Your momentum is gone for a little length of time because both one or both wheels is in the air. doesn't matter what kind of tire or momentum you have. If your tire's in the air, it, it really works on the ground better. So vision will cause the problem of hitting the rocks or the ruts. Now, sometimes if it's heavily strewn big boulders, 
you got to pick a line and kind of sacrifice. You know what? I got to hit this rock, but it's smaller than the one beside it. So if you're standing up in what we call the tiger position, your knees and elbows are bent, helping your body and helping the bike you're on absorb the energy of hitting the obstacle, then you've got far more chance of getting over it and continuing with your momentum. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people hit these rocks or ruts, they get a little scared, shut the throttle off, pull the clutch in. Well, you're done. Right, you've lost your momentum then. Now I'm walking back up the hill to help them. (laughs) Okay, what's number four? The rider has the wrong body position. So I've seen so many people try to attack a hill, they're sitting down. So most hills aren't paved off-road, so there's going to be bumps, there's erosion, there's ruts, roots, rocks, all kinds of things. So if you're sitting down, you're being hammered in the spine when the back wheel comes up after hitting those things. And that's disconcerting enough that the brain will shut the throttle off because you just got hammered. Whereas if you're standing properly, leaning forward, eyes up, looking for the best line, the wrong body position, like sitting down or not leaning forward enough, that is an issue for you. But if you are sitting down or not leaning forward, then that can lead to a loss of control. This is one of those ones that, um, you know, people get into debating about the whole standing up on your pegs and sitting down. But it's very obvious if you think about it when you're climbing up a hill, if the going gets rough and the bike is bouncing up and down, by standing up, your legs become part of the suspension. So you've, you've actually increased the suspension travel in a way rather than having all the weight sitting on the back of that bike and just expecting that, you know, nine, 12 inches of suspension that you've got in there to handle everything. Yes. So it's way more control. You'll get better success with standing. But the big thing is it prevents the hammering you're going to get in the spine, which it could really hurt you. I've seen Mm -hmm. riders trying to go up hills sitting down, and they end up flapping in the breeze behind the bike. And the only part of their body (laughs) is their hands on the grips. That's a challenging hill climb. (laughs) It certainly would be. (laughs) Okay, so uh, just to to cover, to recap here, not enough momentum, not covering the clutch, hitting rocks or ruts, wrong body position. What's number five? Uh, The vision, not looking up the hill. I guess I just talked about it a bit, but... And if you're not looking up the hill far enough, it's impossible to pick the appropriate line. Uh So without great vision, that rider's going to get stuck in the ruts. They're going to hit more rocks than the person with their head up. And they're going to bounce off the line that they would prefer into some other line, which may be the one that means they don't make it up the hill. So vision, I think most instructors, that's probably the most common coaching signal we give is eyes up, eyes up. Vision is really, really important for everything we do. You know, you're going down an interstate or a highway. You're going across the northern U.S. or Canada, or you're on the Bruce Highway in Australia that I was on, it was really straight, not really windy and flat. 
you could get away with lollygagging off to the side for a couple seconds or looking down at your speedometer, your heated grips. But off-road, you don't have that time to take your eyes away from what you're doing because the terrain changes so dramatically off-road because it's affected by environmental changes, you know, heavy rains, the where, where we live, the spring snow melt changes a steep hill dramatically. So without looking up the hill, you're in trouble. Right. And it, it goes without saying that th- there's two things there. One is the speed you're going and the other is the difficulty of the terrain. Those two things will dictate how far you're going to have to look ahead. Yes, exactly. Steepness of the hill. So I say to people, okay, they're sitting on their bikes Now, with your center of your eyeball fixated on my face, do you guys see my boot moving? That's lower peripheral vision. Don't look down at my boot. Keep staring at my face. Can you see the boot moving? They all say yes. Now, you might Mm -hmm. not be able to to read the word CD on my boot, but you can see it. So that lower peripheral vision is what we use to see the root and rock right in front of us is our brain is concentrating on the center of the eyeball vision achieved by looking up the hill or trail. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, well, and, and there's one more? Yes, and this is not that common. It's more common on big adventure bikes than it is dirt bikes, but hitting neutral while you're on the hill. Oh, so you mean they're going to upshift and they hit neutral, dump the clutch in neutral. Uh, And that's, uh, your momentum's gone. You're a little flustered. You hear an engine scream, but the trees don't seem to be going by very fast. You probably hit neutral. So Right. And that's skill and experience. It it is. And what we've recommended is if you needed second gear speed, you do your best to attain that speed with a good crisp sound to the engine. It's in a strong, meaty part of second gear. So it's pulling. It's not going, that's lugging. Right. That's no good. Right. But you should have shifted into second on the flat approach before the hill. Then you don't have to shift up from first to second while on the hill. Now, most of our adventure bikes you're more likely to do that than a little dirt bike because dirt bike gearboxes are a lot harder to find neutral than a big street legal bike just by design because you don't want to find it on a steep hill. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are the common mistakes. Not enough momentum, not covering your clutch, rocks or ruts, wrong body position, not looking far enough up the hill. And hitting neutral. Yeah. Okay, so those are things to watch for. And it goes without saying, like there's a number seven, Jim, but everybody knows it. You didn't let your friend go first. Of course. Because you can learn yes. a lot from I, that. I Yes, I can definitely see that. And, and you have that drilled into me. Oh, there's, yeah. there's no doubt about that for you me. You know, I printed okay, so, on t-shirts, Jim, just for fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it says, uh, for steep hills, deep puddles, and large logs... Always let your friend go first. I got. I got to. I'll send you one. 
Okay, that'd be good. Okay, so what do you have for homework? How can we go and learn this if somebody's not used to going up big hills or maybe they're, I mean, everybody has a limit of what hill you can do no matter who you are. So to get further, uh, like, or to, or to stretch that limit, in other words, if you're only going up tiny hills to go up bigger ones, what homework do you have for us to improve our hill climbing skills? The type of homework we've already done as new motorcycle riders. Maybe we practice in a parking lot at a rider training school or at a shopping plaza, your buddy's helping you. We practice something like gear shifting over and over again. But we weren't out on the highway. We weren't at high speeds. But the technique of shifting gears, the three steps, pull in the clutch, shut off the throttle. We call that wringing out a towel. So you squeeze water out of a towel by pulling your left hand in and your right hand off. Clutch in, gas off. Step number two, shift up or down, whatever you're doing, and then wring the towel again. Very simplistic way for repetitive practice and get comfortable with gear shifting. It's the same concept as steep hills. Don't practice on steep hills. You have no technique yet, no experience to judge momentum. You haven't developed the skill. Way safer, less dangerous. You're going to spend less money on repair bills if you practice on small hills first. So that would be our homework skill is have a stage one hill, we call it. Because at our school, we've learned if people have never done that, let's say they moved from Saskatchewan, Canada. Saskatchewan so flat, you could watch your dog run away for two days. There's very little hills. I'm exaggerating, but it's not like British Columbia, Alberta, that has fantastic ski resorts. There's not many in Saskatchewan, if any. So you are used to flat riding. Don't go to BC and try the heavy-duty, steep mountain passes that are a mile high. Practice on little hills first. And you learn the proper body position, that momentum thing we've talked about. So there's a good crisp engine sound in your ear. And if you're still on the hill and it changes from a crisp engine sound to a where it's lugging, downshift quickly and then continue Mm -hmm. hills. But all those skills can be practiced on small hills. Get the technique with a less intimidating steep hill. That's the secret. And then gradually try something a little steeper. Now, do you also recommend that people do do the turnaround as well? Like, so in other words, even though it's a small hill, practice that turnaround where they're stopping on the hill, stomping on the brake, working their their handlebars back and forth. They, They learn that ahead of time? Absolutely. Because it may be not be the first steep hill, but I don't know anyone who's made it up every steep hill they've attempted. Yeah. There's going to be that time when something goes wrong that you didn't plan for. And instead of going, yaha, I'm up at the top, you're going, oh man, I'm halfway to the top. Now what do I do? Mm-hmm. And that skill I talked about of leaving the clutch out and stomping on the rear brake to stop and hold the bike, yeah. that wasn't something I picked up after 40 years of riding. Someone taught it to me. And uh-huh. now, I teach it to others. It's fantastic. 
And it, it is something that you have to practice because you mentioned how, how counterintuitive it is to leave the clutch out and stomp on the brake and stall your engine. Yeah, it's very hard to do. Yeah, so you want to practice it on those small hills so that when you do get into the bigger stuff and you need it, it's not a fumble around thing. It's something you're already used to. You've built in some mus- muscle memory for it. Yeah. Now, one thing we didn't add is if you downshift to first and it's still a lot of hill left, you're still climbing steeply, but you've got good traction. You're still moving. Now you're running out of power with the clutch all the way out in first gear. You could give it more throttle, but it's starting to sound like it's lugging that. It's going to chug and stall. So another little trick, it's not the nicest thing to do to your clutch, but you can fan the clutch a little. If you pull it in a little way, your RPM goes up because you've just reduced some of the load on the engine because it's not hooked up completely to the gear. Mm -hmm. Then... Once your RPM's built up again, and we're talking over the course of a second or two, slip the clutch back out. Now you'll get a little more climb out of first gear. But you don't want to do that every day, all the time. Because when we fan the clutch under heavy load, stuck in the sand, stuck in mud or snow, or climbing really steep, You heat up the oil and you can burn the clutch, fry the clutch plates. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to do that. The higher the RPM, you you said this before, the higher the RPM when you slip the clutch, the higher the chance of burning the clutch out. Absolutely, Mm because you're causing more heat. Yeah. So it's not a repetitive, if you have to do that all the time, you're on the wrong hill for Mm -hmm. your (laughs) skill in bike. But rather than fall back down the hill or have to turn around, I've done that just to get up the last 20 feet to success. Right. So that's a backup. You don't want to do it all the time, but it's a little backup. Okay. All right. And and what next? Picking a line that demands that zigging and zagging, that increases the difficulty of the hill rather than just a flat hill, no obstacles. But if there's lots of rocks, maybe a couple of trees you got to go around, that impedes your progress because you've got to maybe back off the throttle a little bit to zig and zag. And so that's where standing up is great because you can use your peg steering to dodge around those obstacles Mm -hmm. and try to keep the, the real detriment is if you back off the throttle too much for those obstacles because you've lost your momentum now. And without that, you're not getting up the hill. But that's a little bit more advanced practice is even if those obstacles aren't there. Before you try a mountain pass in Colorado or anywhere where it's a lot of rocks on the mountain passes, you could pretend they are and try zigging and zagging up the flat obstacle free hill. That's another little homework trick we do. I'll put some small orange pylons And people have to slalom up and down the hill. And Mm. that increases the difficulty dramatically. Yeah. Okay. What's next? Your physical fitness. Okay, so hang on. So so you did body position. You didn't really walk through body position though, did you? Oh, I could do that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just to refresh. We think standing up's paramount. 
eyes up, elbows up, leaning forward, covering the clutch with at least two fingers. You've got to have it in the appropriate gear, maybe second for the required speed and momentum, mm-hmm. knowing that I can downshift into first, closer to the top, if I need to. And then what I was saying just now is you run out of power and momentum, clutch it a little to continue. Right. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. Now, you you did mention something about physical fitness and how it it affects can, can, uh, the ride. So can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. My own physical fitness, you know, I thought I was in pretty good shape, but I am 64. I'm a pretty skinny guy, but I, and I played a lot of soccer. I love soccer. Next to riding, it's the most fun I have with boots on. Yeah. But elevation could mean a lot thinner air. So depending on how steep this hill is, if you're up in the clouds, thinner air and a reduction of energy and strength, it means a reduction of the energy and strength you have because you have a lot less oxygen coming into those muscle groups on your body. Mm. So if you don't make it up the hill and you get stuck, if you're not in very good physical fitness, that could lead to a little bit of a health issue. So many of us, I think, buy the wrong sized bike for our skill and fitness level. So if in the adventure bike world, I'm talking about. Yeah. If you buy... And eight, how big's a Goldwing now? I think it's 1,800 cc, Jim, or is it 21? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's I know there's six cylinders, 900 pounds. So if you're riding just paved, flat, relatively flat roads, the size, weight, and mass of the bike has less, less impact. But if you buy in a big, tall adventure bike that's over 500 pounds, and they usually have a very tall seat compared to a cruiser or touring-style motorcycle, your physical fitness has a lot of relevance when climbing hills. Yeah. yeah I, and I guess the other way you could look at it is you could say it's either the wrong size bike, uh, a skill or fitness level, but or, or the wrong hill for you to be riding that bike on. <laughs> yes. Right. So, you know, you're pushing it too hard, I guess. Because as, as you're saying this, you know, I'm thinking it, it, is a, it is a spot where you can use a lot of energy and you do hill climbing. It's stressful to do to begin with. It's, it tends to be fast paced, but any sort of stopping and turning around and coming back down, having another go at it, that all drags you down and you're wearing all your gear. And if it's hot out, that, that makes it even worse. So yeah, it's something you, you definitely have to keep in mind. Yeah. So in the past, I've been, people tell me I'm a little, maybe blunt sometimes talking to customers, as certainly as I age. But I listened to, uh wasn't a podcast, but it was a video that Chris Birch did. It was fantastic. And what he says to his customers, I'm going to adopt it with without Chris Birch's permission. But <laughs> it's fantastically more diplomatic than my approach. He said, you didn't buy the wrong bike. You just bought your third bike as your first bike. I thought that was brilliant. And Mm -hmm. what he's saying is, absolutely, buy a 1250 BMW, buy a 1290 KTM, but maybe not as your very first bike if you're going to try harder off-road. Right. One other thing, Jim, I'd love to mention is, If you don't have the stuff we've talked about in experience and skill, 
would it not be wiser to see if there's a way around? You mean around the hill? Yeah, without having to climb up the steep hill. If your first look at it says to you, I don't know if I can do this. Maybe you should listen to that inner voice and not even try it. Because Mm. hills, when it goes wrong, it could ruin that day, possibly your trip or riding season if you wreck yourself or your bike. So attempting a great big climb because you saw some nut on YouTube do it may not be for you because gravity has a way of helping you fall back down the hill and that could really hurt. So use your head and, yeah. and don't get influenced by the people standing around, you know, cause that's a, an easy one to fall into. And you know, you, you mentioned about you, you, you walked rather, you didn't mention you, you walked through exactly how to turn around on the hill and, and I just can't help but think how important that is, that skill of being able to turn around because that's your bailout, right? And, you know, if, if it doesn't go, even as you're trying, if you're trying something a little more difficult, you need that bailout. Yes. Okay. Well, that's great, Clinton. That, that was wonderful and learned some great things in there and, and certainly laid it out in a simple way that people can learn how to, well, increase their skill level. Thanks so much. Our pleasure. Have a great weekend, Jim. was Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Their website is smartadventures.ca. We've got some photos and a video depicting some of the things Clinton was talking about in this episode. They're all in the show notes as they always are for every episode on our website at adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks of course to our producer Elizabeth Martin and you. Thank you very much for being a part of this. I hope you take what you heard today from Clinton and get out there and really work it because it's the whole point, right? Don't just listen and then forget about it. Listen, go out and ride it. Anyway, get out there and ride your bike if you can in particular if you're, if you're practicing this like I said. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. Oh, and wait, let me just throw in here. If you're not doing it already, the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We would really appreciate your support. And if you sign up for our patron account, then you get the offer of an ad-free Adventure Rider Radio. So if you want that, that's there. But anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent back at you, an Adventure Rider Radio sticker. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout-out on our Raw show. And of course, that always prompts me to mention the Raw show. We have another show that comes out once a month that comes out on the 21st of every month. Roundtable talks about motorcycle travel. It's a 
lot of fun and it's very popular. Drop by anywhere you find podcasts and search for Adventure Rider Radio Raw or just go to our website, adventureriderradio.com and all the information is there. Now get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. This is ADV woman, Pat Jakes, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.